Well, good morning, Heights. I just want to welcome you, whether you're worshiping with us on one of our campuses or you're worshiping with us via the internet and our streaming uh, service. We thank you for being here. Thank you for joining with us to kind of conclude the year. And we are there, aren't we? The last Sunday of 2017. Not only the last Sunday, but the very last day of 2017. And as I think about it and think about all the folks who are listening to this this morning, I think there are probably some of you who would say that 2017 just flew by. I mean, it seemed like it was just yesterday you were making plans for 2017. Now it's concluding and you're making plans for 2018. But then there are others who would say, no, that's not the way 2017 was for me. It was a long, rough year. Uh, Maybe you had some struggles financially or physically or emotionally or even spiritually. And it's just been one of those years that you've been hoping it would finish up, move on, and maybe next year would be better. And then some of you are probably like I was. You know, to me, 2017 seemed to have a lot of days that were long and looked like they were never ending. But somehow those days strung together to make a year that went by pretty quickly. So here we are at the end of the year. We're getting ready to flip the calendar page over to our new adventure, our new journey. And yet when you think about it, really moving from December to January is not really any different than turning the calendar page from March to April or from September to October. And yet having said that, it it is different, isn't it? There's significance in moving from one year to the next. It's kind of a milestone in our lives. You know, it's that point in time when we maybe pause for a moment and we look back to the year that's ending and we look at all the places we've been, all the things we've done. We we look and see the track of our footprints through 2017. And then we look out into the new year and it's kind of like looking out onto a pristine, white, sandy beach that nobody has walked on. Now, I know I could have used a snow illustration right there, but I just refuse to do it. We're thinking beaches, not snow. But we're looking out into that pristine beach, and we're just thinking about where are our footprints going to land as we go through the new year. And so, you know, as we do that, we often get into this idea of resolutions and thinking about, uh, you know, how we want to improve and how we want to change and, and the goals that we want to have. And whether you're talking about, you know, you call them resolutions or goals, whether you call them ambitions or hopes, we all have them. Do you know what the five most popular, most common New Year's resolutions are? Let me give them to you in ascending order. Number five is start a new hobby. Number four, make more money. Number three is improve relationships. Number two is stop smoking. And number one is lose weight. That's it. You're right. Yeah, the most popular, the most prominent New Year's resolution, lose weight. I was reading this week an article about a couple who had decided together that they were going to lose weight in the new year. And so they'd gotten about six or seven weeks into the new year and the wife went into the bathroom one day and her husband was standing in there on the scales and looking down at at the dial there at the scales. 
and he doesn't realize she's come in and she's watching him for a second. And as he's looking down, he starts to suck his stomach in. (laughs) And she starts laughing at him. She says, you know, that's not going to help, don't you? And he said, oh, yes, it does help. If I don't suck my stomach in, I can't see the numbers. (laughs) So some of us have been there. Others of you don't have a clue what that's all about. But you know, the millions of resolutions that are being made even as we speak and over the next several days and weeks, the vast majority of them, almost all of them, fall into one of three categories. It's the look better, live longer resolution, the make more money resolution, and the get along better with others, improve our relationship resolution. So you've got longevity, prosperity, and peace. Those are the three major categories of resolutions that people make. This morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'll tell you that I entitled my sermon, Resolutions from a Wise Man, and one of our fellow staff members this week had seen just the title, and they asked me, he said, are you the wise man that's giving the resolutions? And you'll be glad to know these are not coming from this wise man, but a true wise man, <clears throat> Solomon, a man who when was asked, you know, you can have whatever you want, he said, give me wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, he says, My son, now this is his instruction as a father to his son. He says, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. For they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Did you catch that? Longevity, prosperity, peace. He says, the instruction I'm about to give you, the resolutions, if you will, I'm about to give you will help you to achieve longevity, prosperity, and peace. Well, let's look at what he says. The first resolution he gives us for the new year. Now, of course, he's not giving it for the new year, but we're, we're capturing it and incorporating it into that for ourselves. But the first one is be unwavering. Be unwavering. Verse 3 says, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Be unwavering, he's telling us. As he starts off there in verse 3, he says, Don't let loyalty and faithfulness get away from you. What he's talking about there is a covenant love for God and a dependability in how you live your life. What he's talking to us about there is consistency in your life. He says, as you move through your life and you're seeking to have a long life and a prosperous life and a life filled with peace, he says, you as a believer, you as a child of God, you need to live a life that is consistent in all that you do, consistent in all of your situations, consistent in all of your circumstances, a life that is connected in with a a commitment to God. You see, God commands, God desires of us a relationship that is totally surrendered and committed to him. 
And that's what Solomon is reminding us of here. He says, if you want to go into the new year, you want to have a, a great new year and a great life ahead of you, if you want to accomplish the things that you desire, but more importantly, the things that God desires for you, he says, you've got to have that kind of commitment. You've got to have that kind of consistency in your life. And then he goes on, he says, tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And some people take those verses and, and kind of take them too literally. It's not talking about physically doing anything, but it's talking about what you're doing with your life and how you're living your life. In some translations, it says, bind them around your neck. In another translation, it says, adorn them as ornaments around your neck. What he's saying is that you ought to be living the kind of lifestyle, the kind of character towards God that people see it when they look at you. And he says it's something that is not just on the outside because... We know Jesus dealt with that some. He had some folks he was constantly dealing with who had the outward trimmings, but there was nothing inside. No, he said it's something that is both outward and inward. And he says there is a consistency between them. What people see in you outwardly is what's in the inside. And what both of those are are this steadfastness, this faithfulness, this dependability towards God, this consistency. You know, what's the, one of the biggest complaints people have about Christians, about us? Our inconsistency, isn't it? They say, oh yeah, they're one way at church, but you ought to see them at work. They're one way in that situation when they're with all their church friends, but boy, they're another day when they're out with this group. Or they're one way when life is going good and everything's, you know, turning up roses, but they're totally different when tragedy hits and struggles hit. But Solomon says to us, be unwavering. Be consistent. Be straightforward in what you're doing. He says, let your relationship with God show through on the outside. Because it's so true on the inside that it can't help but come in out. And then he moves on and he says, not only do I instruct you to be unwavering, but I instruct you to be trusting. Look at verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. You know, we know in our personal relationships with one another, you got to earn trust, don't you? I mean, you don't automatically trust someone or expect them to trust you when you first meet them. It's got to be a process of getting to know them, seeing them, see what they do, see how they act in a situation. And out of that, you begin then to be able to give them your trust. They have proved themselves to be trustworthy. Well, folks, I'm here today to tell you that God is trustworthy. He has proven it over and over and over again. Read through the book. Read through his word. And what you see over and over again is a God that is worthy of our trust. And then look at your own lives as believers. And you see over and over again his trustworthiness. So it says trust in God. And it says, trust in Him entirely. It says, trust in the Lord with 
all your heart. All your heart. See, that's what God is calling us to do. To trust Him with every fiber of our being. Trust Him in everything that we do. Trust in Him with every ounce of our passion and our purpose. Trust in Him entirely. And then trust in Him exclusively. He says, do not rely on your own understanding. See, that's the problem we have. We have a natural human tendency to begin to rely on our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own process. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's where we always get in trouble, isn't it? I mean, I look back on my life, and when I look at those things and those decisions and situations that I decided, well, I know what to do, and I'm just going ahead with it without stopping to think about what God would have me to do every time I'm wrong, every time, because I am a sinner, and my decisions are influenced by that sin. And yet far too many of us, we make marriage decisions and financial decisions, and vocational decisions, without taking them through the Word of God, but really just deciding on them because it feels right. Feels like what we want to do. Feels like what we ought to do. But the problem is, he says, don't rely on our own understanding. Trust exclusively in God and what God is telling you and guiding you to do in all of this. And then he says, trust in him extensively. He says, in all your ways, know him. So we're going to trust him with all of our heart. And in all of our ways. You see, he's not just Lord over the religious aspects of our lives. He's Lord over all of our lives. And so we need to make sure that in all things, in all ways, in every situation, in every opportunity, we trust God to tell us where to, what to do and where to go. He says in this, if you do this, he will make your path straight. Some translations say he will direct your path. What Solomon is saying to us there is that if we trust in the Lord, he will take us to where we need to go. He will direct us to the right place. The place that we want to be, but more importantly, the place where he wants us to be. So he says, be unwavering, unwavering be trusting. And then he says, be fearing. Look at verse 7. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Fear the Lord, he says. And sometimes we struggle with that idea and exactly what that means because, I mean, we're told he is a loving God. He's a caring God. He is a compassionate God. He is a forgiving God. How do you take that and make it measure upright with fear the Lord? Martin Luther struggled with that, and he kind of came up with this, this concept when he thought about fear. He said, there's a couple of types of fear. There's servial fear, and there's filial fear. 
Servial fear, he said, is a fear that a prisoner might have when he's afraid of that jailkeeper who comes in and tortures him and torments him every day, and he has a fear of him coming and showing up. He said it's the kind of fear that a slave might have who has a master who is constantly just beating and punishing him. He's just a cruel, vicious man. And, of course, he has a fear of any kind of interaction with him. But he says there is a filial fear, F-I-L-I-A-L. I know sometimes my southern Virginia accent makes it hard to hear what I'm saying. But it's family type thing. It is the idea of the fear that we might have for our father, for our parent. And it's not the fear of what they're going to do to us. It's a fear of disappointing them. You know, as I grew up, I had a fear that I might do something that would disappoint my dad. That, that was very significant, very important to me because my dad had a special place in my life. And my heavenly father has a special place in my life. And to fear God means to give him the respect, to give him the position, to give him the place that he deserves. And see, the opposite of doing that is seen right here when it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. See, when you're being wise in your own eyes, when, when you've lifted yourself up, promoted yourself up, then you're taking the place that God is supposed to have in your life. He says, so don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. It's, it's speaking of humility here. It's speaking of humbleness, of realizing who we are, that I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. But God... God is my heavenly Father who loved me so much that he sent his Son to die on the cross and pay the price for my sins. And I am going to give him the respect, the awe, the worship, the place that he deserves. So as I go into this new year, I'm going to seek to live a life of consistency that's unwavering. I'm going to seek to live a life that is trusting. And I'm going to trust God in always. And I'm going to live a life that fears God and puts him where he belongs. I'm going to live a life that looks at him with awe and respect. Then a fourth resolution. Turn over to verse 9. He says we are to be honoring. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions. See, one of the ways we can see what our relationship with God is like. Is to look at how we handle our possessions. What we do with them. In response to him. His word tells us. That we are to bring the tithe to the storehouse. And as we enter into 2018. As children of God. As Christ followers. As believers. We need to ask ourselves. Are we honoring him with our possessions? That word honoring right there. Can be translated heavy. And it has to do with the weight that you give to him. The weight that you give to his value. How valuable is God to you? How do you see God in your life? And if so, do you honor him? 
do you express that value? Now, Solomon could have gone through a lot of different ways that we honor God because there are different things we do to honor God, but he went right to the one that gives us the most trouble, didn't he? He went right to possessions. And he says, honor him with your possessions. And folks, I'm just going to say this bluntly because I'm not up here every week, so you're going to get mad at me once and then I'm gone. You really need, and I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you really need to look at your relationship with God if you're not honoring Him with your possessions. It's hard to say, I have committed everything and surrender everything to Jesus. And then one of the clearest things in Scripture, which is to bring the tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse, you're not doing. You need just evaluate where you are. As you look at this, this is a resolution. What do you need to change in your life? So he tells us, he says, be unwavering, be trusting, be fearing, be honoring. And then he says, be understanding. Look at verse 11. He says, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. He says, don't despise the Lord's instruction or the Lord's discipline. In other words, what he's saying to us here is understand what discipline is all about. The purpose of discipline is to create in us a particular, specific behavior. And so as God is working in our lives, what he is doing in the area of discipline is trying to get us to the place where we need to be. You know, when my son was growing up and I would discipline him, I can say to you without any shadow of doubt, that was never once in all the years that I disciplined him that I did it because I wanted to punish him, because I wanted to make him pay. And yet that's what some people seem to think God's like. God just wants to make us pay. No. In fact, if you're a child of God, if you experience what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, if, if you're born again, saved, believer, the Bible tells us Christ took on himself your punishment. And so it's not punitive, it's corrective. He's trying to move. That's what I did with Shay when he was growing up. When I had to uh, exercise discipline in his life. It was done to get him back on the right course, done to help him move ahead and become what he needed to be, what he even wanted to be. Tom Landry, the great Hall of Fame football coach, he said the job of a football coach is to make men do things they don't want to do so that they can achieve the things they want to achieve. That's what discipline is in our lives when God's working and moving in that. Sometimes he's making us do things we don't want to do so that he can move us to the place where we want to be and where he wants us to be. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the straightest path to peace is through struggles. So we have to be careful of going, why God? Why are you doing this to me? And, and we're looking, what we're doing when we're saying that is we're blaming God. We're not really wanting to know what we need to change, are we? We're going, God, you need to stop doing that because I, I don't deserve it. See, discipline's not like that. Discipline is corrective. 
Discipline is trying to get us on the right place and the right path. Again, going back to what he said. He said earlier when we're talking about trusting, he says, I will make your path straight. I will direct you on your path. That's what he's trying to work and do in our lives. So he says, you want some good New Year's resolutions? He said, resolve to be unwavering this year. Be consistent in your life. Resolve to be trusting. Trust God in everything. Resolve to be fearing. Give God the place of reverence that he deserves in your life. He says, be honoring. Honor him with that thing that seems to be the hardest for you to honor him with, your possessions. And he said, be understanding of what discipline is all about and what God's trying to do in your life. And stop blaming God and fussing to God about it. And see what you need to do to change. But I want you to notice something. As we've gone through this passage. Turn back with me to. uh, Excuse me to verse 2. He's just said let your heart keep these commandments. And now he says. And they'll bring you many days. And a full life and well being. And then when he said let loyalty and faithfulness never leave you. He says, if you do that, then you'll find favor and high regard with God and people. And he says, if you trust in the Lord, then he's going to make your path straight. And then he says, if you fear the Lord, this will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. And he says, if you honor the Lord with your possessions, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You, know, you almost have to stop and ask the question, though. Does Proverbs overpromise? How many of us have known somebody, a very godly person, very righteous person, who died young? They didn't get long years, did they? How many of you have known a godly person who did not prosper, was fighting financially, was poor in poverty for much of their lives, if not all of it? How many of you have known a godly person who did not find peace in their life? In fact, their life was a constant struggle. Every one of us in here knows somebody like that, don't we? So the question is, did Proverbs overpromise? Well, the answer is no, because first off, understand this. What Proverbs gives to us is not a promise. It is not a guarantee. What Solomon is giving to us is a pathway. What is your best chance of achieving these kind of things in your life? It's to follow this path. It's to follow this direction. But what, what he's really in awe, when you take the whole book of Proverbs and put it together, and, you know, we know it as these poetic, you know, pithy little sayings, sayings that, you know, fit well on an index card to put up on our refrigerator or fit well on a mug. But what Proverbs is all about is about a relationship with God that goes beyond the superficial. It's about a relationship with God that is in-depth and is filled with purpose. That's where Solomon is trying to lead us. That's where he was trying to lead his son as he shared all of this. He said, what it's really all about is your relationship with God. Are you trusting him? Are you honoring him? Are you believing in him? Are you following the direction that he's giving in your life? That's what it's all about. 
And so that's where he's trying to direct them. That's where he's trying to direct us. And that's where I'm trying to take us as we think forward into 2018. I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that said, for 2018, I'm going to try to keep all the resolutions that I wrote down in 2017. Because I thought about writing them down in 2016. And I first thought of them in 2015. That sums many of us up, doesn't it? Again, someone once said that resolutions, they kind of go in one year and out the other. How do we change that moving forward? How do we change that for 2018? I think the first step is to realize the most important, the most significant, the most substantial thing in our lives is our relationship with God. So let's not concentrate our resolution so much on losing weight and making more money and starting a new hobby. That's fine. Do all those things in 2018 if you want to. But make them about your relationship with God. Make a commitment to be unwavering, unwavering, consistent in your walk with God this year. So that when people look at you, they see Christ in you. It's adorned on you like an ornament. Make a commitment to be trusting. Trust Him more completely, more passionately more earnestly than you have ever done before. Be fearing. Each and every day and in every situation, make sure you're giving him the place that he deserves. Be honoring. Honor him with your possessions this year. And be understanding. Rather than complaining. As God creatively disciplines you and moves you. Ask God where do I need to change? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? To be who you would want me to be. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. In my prayer for myself, in my prayer for all of those who are listening to this right now, is that in 2018, we might know you better, know you more deeply. Know you more passionately. Experience you more fully than we have ever done before. Father, I pray in the new year that we will seek a consistency and a trust and a reverence and in honor, 
and an understanding of you deeper than anything we've ever experienced before. May 2018, Lord, be a year that honors you, glorifies you, blesses you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.